0: We will return to Revelation next week. I wanted to bring us a message this week about the Reformation. It might seem a little strange to start in in Psalm 33, but I hope you will understand once we get into it. Verse 12 is where we'll begin reading in the 33rd chapter of Psalm. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this word and for its truth and for its power. Help us this morning to see the application that is within this text our hearts closer to you, through the example we have in history and through the teaching we have in your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Christians will usually profess a faithful trust or belief in a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christians have a desire to see the power of God in their lives. Usually through some sort of evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This desire to see the power of the Holy Spirit is very often manifested in many ways. and I don't want to confuse anyone, but sometimes these ways seem to be confusing throughout the church because there are those who think the Holy Spirit is going to manifest himself through a blessing of prosperity or a blessing of healing or a blessing of tongues or some other miracle. The Holy Spirit is never going to go against the word of God. The Holy Spirit cannot bring anything new to our understanding than what we have written in the Word of God. So if there's ever any time in your life where someone says, The Holy Spirit told me, or God gave me a message for you, a word for you, please don't listen. When we talk about the canon of Scripture, C-A-N-O-N, we're talking about the complete accepted word of God. Nothing more. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes to us through its teaching and through its light. We find truth there. So when we want to see the power of God in our lives, it will come through his word administered by the Spirit of God And it it will not come as any kind of response to our diligent duty. God does bless faithfulness. But the Spirit of God comes through us through the truth of his word. You might ask, how can I understand how God works in my life? How can I find victory as a Christian? Quite frankly, the answer is that the proper understanding of God's power in our life is a proper posture and a holy before a holy and righteous God. If you want to find God's power in your life, if you want to see it demonstrated in your life, you're going to need to bring some spiritual posture to your heart And your will and your life that humbles yourself before God and his word. That kind of teaching, that kind of principle goes for an entire nation and it goes for the individual Christian. You're probably not going to see it throughout an entire nation. I mean, we look at the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They had the same calling Bow before your Lord and God, humble yourself before him, and he will lift you up. We, saw, we see that throughout their teaching, and they rarely ever did, did it. We saw the prophets would humble themselves, and God used the prophets in very powerful ways. But the nation, for the most part, was a lost cause. We look at Old Testament Israel and we look at the New Testament church. Old Testament Israel was focused pretty much around geographic boundaries. The promised land, the land of Canaan and the city of Jerusalem. New Testament church, what we see today, now I'm not talking about the New Testament church as it is seen On many church campuses, many church buildings, I'm talking about the universal, invisible, true church, should be understood to be, should be accepted as, should be believed to be the spiritual Jerusalem, the city of God. And we look at our text in. Psalm 33 verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. When most of us read this verse we immediately think of political nations or political power. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Oh yeah, that could be the United States of America. Yeah, it could be, but it's while the promise is there waiting to be received, you're not going to see the nation of America humble themselves before God. I wish they would. They, This nation certainly has been blessed since the founders, I believe, humbled themselves before God. They understood what was needed to build a nation upon biblical principles foundations of righteousness foundations of justice foundations of truth but all of that's been lost and washed away and ignored bible says when blessed is the nation some people understand that is not a modern nation but israel that the Lord is talking about Israel. But when you look in the, in the Hebrew language, the original language, blessed is the Goyim. The goyim in the Hebrew language is a word for everyone else other than an Israelite, other than Hebrew. This strongly suggests that God's plan for the very beginning was that the gospel was for the whole world and not just for the nation of Israel. God is saying in Psalm 33 blessed is the nation and any nation who would bow before him any nation would acknowledge God as Lord would have his blessing, would have his protection, would have his provision that would still go for today as well should a nation do that Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Historically, there was a geographical place, the city of Jerusalem. Spiritually, as I had mentioned just a few moments ago, we have the promise of a new Jerusalem. People of God chosen and called from all nations come to him without geopolitical boundaries. We have a spiritual city we belong to. We have a spiritual citizenship. We are a part of, and that is the new Jerusalem. And ultimately, I think the fulfillment of the latter half of verse 12 of Psalm 33, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage is fulfilled in understanding that. Blessed is the the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from the heavens. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. This is telling us that God himself knows us, sees us all if he knows the numbers on your head all the hairs on your head, if he sees the sparrow when it falls he knows your need, he knows your problem he knows your blessings, he knows your troubles, he knows your trials, he knows you he knows your heart as humble as it should be or as proud as it should not be, he knows He sees all the children of man. He sits enthroned. He looks out on the inhabitants of the earth. And the Bible says he is the one who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So if the Spirit of God is going to move in your life, he must move first in your heart to quicken it. That's an old-timey word bring it back to life make it awake make it aware to prick it some of you might remember in your younger days that little part right there next to where the fingernail and the finger and the finger join that that's called the quick sometimes you get a splinter underneath your fingernail and it hurts you're getting it under the quick and it smarts. It's making you uncomfortable where there should be no pain. That word is also used when the Holy Spirit quickens the heart. It, it prods it, it pokes it, it makes it aware. Sometimes it's very painful because it's a convicting convicting quick. It makes you aware of sin brings shame to your life. Have you noticed in this world, in this day, in this time, they they don't want anyone to feel shame for anything? How dare you embarrass someone for the way they appear or the way they talk? But the Bible doesn't want to shame people for the way they appear or the way they talk. The Bible wants to convict people of sin the spirit of god wants to make us very aware of the sin that keeps us from god and that quickening within very often brings an awareness of shame doesn't have to be public although sometimes it is for some people but it can change the gospel can restore and heal if someone repents of that sin the Lord looks down from heaven he sees the children of men from where he sits enthroned he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth and he fashions the hearts of them and all hearts of them all and observes all their deeds In one sense, that gives us an idea that he's going, to, he's going to call those who are his. He's going to bring them to himself. The Holy Spirit is going to work through the hearts and the lives of those people whom he has called and those whom he will save. And we know that he is faithful to do that. And we can also be assured that in that same idea, once he has brought people to himself, that they are part of a universal city, a universal brotherhood, a universal pride, a body of Christ. I remember hearing the story told by a well-known evangelist who was invited to speak at a University near Moscow in Russia. This was after communism kind of collapsed and they were inviting educators and speakers in to speak to their students. And this evangelist arriving early on a cold, snowy morning was walking across the quiet campus on his way to the meeting hall where he was to speak. And he heard footsteps. He didn't see where it was coming from at first, but along with the footsteps, he heard someone whistling a hymn. He was familiar with the hymn. So he started singing the hymn And looking around and he saw this gentleman, an elderly gentleman, across the courtyard. And they stopped and they looked at one another and then they walked toward one another. One could speak English, the other would speak Russian, but Mm -hmm. they couldn't talk to one another. But they knew one another in Christ Jesus through that hymn. The New Jerusalem, the city of God, unifies us. That is the true church part of many nations. How do we find the spiritual power within this city where we live? It is obedience to the Heavenly Father or obedience to the King. That is the primary thing. Humbling ourselves before Him and being obedient to the Heavenly Father it was the same in the Old Testament. In Old Testament Israel and it is the same in the New Testament church. In the Old Testament obedience was required in worship and sacrificial ceremonies. The problem there. That's, we have obedience required here. But we see it very clearly when we read through the Old Testament. The problem with Israel is that when the ceremonies became Primary. Okay, there's a lot of work that we've got to go through for worship. And there was a lot of work in Old Testament Israel. There was a lot of work they had to prepare. There was a lot of things they had to do. They had to do it a certain way in order for it to be received by God and acceptable to God. But the problem was it became more duty and task-oriented than it was opening up their heart and humbling themselves before God. when the ceremonies, when all of the duties became primary, our love for the Lord Jesus very often grows cold. You can come to church every single Sunday. You can listen to Christian music on your radio. You can even read your Bible regularly but if you do not engage your heart and humble yourself before him, your heart can still grow cold. Isaiah chapter one, many of you are very familiar with it. It, Israel was very good at doing church. They were very faithful Even when they were worshiping other idols, they still brought sacrifices to the Lord and they just sacrificed to all the other gods. Isaiah 1, beginning of verse 11. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. What to me, this is the Lord speaking to Israel. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, of fat, of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and of lambs or of goats, when you come to appear before me, who has required you? Required of you this tramping of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. These are the words of the Lord to his chosen people. Their worship had grown so cold because they were just going through the motions. God said, I won't even, it's It's unacceptable. You can be, bring the purest, cleanest offering, present it in the very perfect way, but if your heart is not there, I cannot receive it. If your humility is not there, if your repentance is not there, if your confession is not there, I cannot receive it. And that's what God requires of us. That's why the reformers, there are quite a few sayings that the reformers have and one that continues today is semper reformandi, the Latin for always reforming, always repenting, always holding ourselves accountable to the word of God. Orderly worship was necessary in Old Testament. Orderly worship is necessary today. But the Lord desires to see the tender hearts of his children humble before him more than anything else. Returning to Isaiah chapter 1, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead to the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. He made Israel very aware of their sin, even though they were faithful in duty. It all became chores. Their heart was not in it. He told them, go away until you repent. And then he tells them, encourages them, come. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Just confess, bow before me and I will pour out upon my nation, my people, great blessing. We know that as a nation Israel did not obey the Lord, so the Lord raised up prophets to call Israel to reform reform is repentance reform is revival reform is renewal God does the same thing today if you want to see or experience the power of God be humble before him but be bold before the world if you want to see God, God's spirit God's power used work through your life be humble before him, but be bold before the Lord. And that's what the Old Testament prophets would do. Well, I've got to tell you, not many of them survived. Many of them were martyred, but they were faithful. Obedience is important. Church attendance is important. Integrity in your life is important. Purity, is in, life. Purity in your life is important. Faithful prayer and study is important, but all of those things can become cold and meaningless. We are encouraged in 1 Corinthians 14, 40 that all things be done through, decently and in order. We should come to God and worship him in an orderly way, but our hearts should be engaged. Our minds should be open and teachable. It's important to realize that All things should be done for the love of the Lord and for his glory. As the Lord raised up faithful prophets in the Old Testament, he continues to raise up faithful preachers in modern church. This is the Sunday we have a Reformation remembrance. And a couple of days early, actually, it's October the 31st. That seems to have been overshadowed by something else that goes on, but on October 31st in the year 1517, Martin Luther went to his local Facebook page and posted 95 memes Will that help us relate to it a little bit more, that kind of exposed the foolishness of the Roman Catholic Church. all he really wanted to do is, look, I'm writing this in Latin so only educated people can read it, so let's discuss this. That's all he wanted to do, but about 40 years earlier, the printing press had already been invented and people were putting things to print and it very quickly got copied and printed and disseminated It spread everywhere and the Catholic Church found about it. And they were soon coming to Martin Luther asking him questions about what he really believed and what he really thought was right. And it got him in trouble. What was Luther's motivation to stand up against a church that was in control, oppressive, greedy, corrupt, apostate? What would give him the courage to stand? It may not have been his intention to make that much of an impact, but but his action, just pinning those complaints on the door of the church at Wittenberg, changed Christianity forever. Margaret Luther was the son of Hans and Marguerite Luther, or Luther. His father had aspirations for Martin. He wanted him to be an attorney, make good money as an attorney, but Luther wasn't interested in it. But what Martin didn't realize then, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit was already working in his heart and in life. He was frustrated. He was disillusioned a little bit, but his university studies, there were too many questions. He was a bit of a skeptic. But we are reminded in Scripture, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. God was already fashioning in the heart of Martin Luther before he even knew it. Principles, convictions that would give him the courage to stand for truth. Lord might be working in someone's life here today and you not even know it yet. We aren't always that perceptive to the power of the Holy Spirit and to his moving and to his work. We usually don't realize it until we get through the trial or we get through the task and look back and say, hey, he was working all along. And then you can praise God and give him glory for how he used you. Luther was at home visiting his family taking a break from university on his way back to school. A storm came up. A lightning bolt struck a tree nearby he was thrown from his horse it terrified him and he made a vow to St Anna the patron saint of copper miners whom his father was a copper miner. "Save me St Anna and I will become a monk." Kind of a foolish vow, but he held to his word. He left the university and joined an Augustinian order of monks. One amazing thing about Martin, because of his cause of the Holy Spirit working in his heart, he had a very profound awareness of of and sensitivity to sin particularly his own. He could never find freedom from guilt. Holy Spirit was already working in his heart. He could never find freedom from, he was already being convicted of the sin in his life. He was already being shown the need there. April 3rd, 1507, he was ordained in the Erfurt Cathedral in 1508, he began teaching theology at the University of Wittenberg. He received a bachelor's degree in biblical studies on March 1508 and another bachelor's degree in 1512. He received a Doctor of Theology in 1512. He received, was also received into the faculty of the theology at the University of Wittenberg. So he had advanced quite quickly in teaching theology even before he pinned his complaints on the door at Wittenberg. He was still being convicted of sin. And he kept seeking, praying, wondering, confessing. They got so tired of his confession, they told him, Luther, don't come back until you've committed a sin worthy of confession. He was studying in preparation for a lecture. And he read these words. The Apostle Paul quotes Habakkuk chapter 2. A passage you're very familiar with. The Apostle Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God. And Luther knew that he needed power of God in his life. The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And at that moment, Luther talks about what happened in his heart and in his mind. He said that in his mind it was almost, I'm not using his exact words, but it's almost as if heaven had opened for him. The just, the righteous man before God shall live by faith. All he needs to do to have a holy, righteous standing before God is believe what God promised to do. And in that, we find the steps, the path to Salvation. All of Luther's guilt, all of Luther's sin, all of Luther's shame was gone. He rejoiced. And it gave him courage, it gave him boldness. He became fearless. He began to question the Catholic Church, and he made those 95 complaints, those theses, those lists. And he brought change to the world and to the church. But this church was very intimidating. It had already become corrupted, been that way for generations. It was compromised spiritually and politically. It had become very greedy. I'm not going into the details of that. Most of you know it. Some of you can read about it later. But this church was very intimidating, yet... Martin Luther had the courage to make a statement. A Frenchman by the name of Henri Daniel Robes wrote this. The so called, you know, there are some who try to defend the Catholic Church, saying that there was a counter Reformation, that the Church was trying to clean up its act or make things right, but they weren't making things right in the proper area. Henri Daniel Robes says the so-called counter-reformation did not begin with the Council of Trent, which came, what, 1545, about 30 years after Martin Luther's 95 Theses. Long after Luther, the origins of the initial achievements were much anterior or before the fame of Wittenberg. It was undertaken not by answering the reformers, but in, listen to what Robes says, and he's, this is, He's, this is a Catholic historian telling us what the church was trying to correct. And they weren't trying to correct the right things. In obedience to demands and principles that are part of the unalterable tradition of the church proceed from her most fundamental and, pro, and proceed from her most fundamental loyalties. Obedience... Of the, to the demands and principles of the church, unalterable traditions of the church, and her most fundamental loyalties. Tradition, not scripture. The church had already erred so much in by placing tradition, duties that were not required in scripture, calling people to do things that they did not need to do according to Scripture. Robes claims the Catholic Church had been trying to reform long before Martin Luther, but the reforms were dictated by the traditions of men and not the word of the Spirit of God. Modern churches do the same thing today. The preacher that presents a moral message that simply gives people a list of things to do will always attract a greater response than the preacher. will always respo- attract a greater response than the preacher that calls you to face, fall face down before a holy and righteous God and plead for mercy. You can find a preacher on every street corner who will give you a list of five ways to improve your, life, your love life or seven ways to improve your prayer life or six ways to become a better Christian or seven ways to become a better businessman or nine ways to do a better marriage, or a better husband, or a better wife. You can draw a crowd with a message like that every Sunday. But the preacher that wants to call you to confess your sin, and repent of your sin, and humble yourself before God, they aren't liked very well. God says to those who come to him, you know, preacher, help me be a better husband, a father, a better employee. Help me be a better mother, a brother. Help me care for my neighbor more. Help me be more power. Help there be more power in my prayer life. Help me be good so I can please God. God Amen. says, you have nothing to offer that I need. All of those things you should be doing in response in gratitude in response to him anyway. But you must first humble yourself before the Lord. The preacher that presents a moral message that simply gives people a list of things to do will always attract a greater response than the preacher that calls you to fall face down before a holy and righteous God and plead for mercy. But you need to remember it is that expression of humility and confession and repentance that we find. That is where we find mercy and grace and power. You want to find power in God, humble yourself before him. And he will bless you with it. In the rest of our text in Psalm 33. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And it's by great might it cannot rescue. This is telling us that we cannot earn God. We We cannot work for our salvation. There is nothing in our own strength we can do to win any favor before him. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who revere him, on those who worship him. And those who hope in his steadfast love that he, the Lord, may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. O Lord, let your steadfast love be upon us even as we hope in you. Martin Luther's stand changed the world. It changed the church. We would not be here today were it not for him and some others had we had time we would go into their history. But Martin Luther paid a price. Pope Leo had authorized the death of Martin Luther. He had written what was called a papal bull, giving people permission. If they saw Martin Luther, they could kill him without any penalty of court or trial. Martin Luther, for the rest of his life, lived with a contract on his head. 1525 he had married and had children and had already buried a daughter who was less than two years old but he trusted in the word of the Lord he may have endured a lot of pain a lot of heartbreak he may have endured a lot of resistance it could have discouraged him it would discourage most of us but one of the things that he did write, he was a hymn writer, and I've not found the tune for this. This is one of the small, shorter hymns that he wrote. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want Of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart, whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. No matter what he endured the rest of his life, he trusted in the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. As so should you. You may not feel saved. I remember the preacher years ago tell me that he didn't always feel saved, especially he didn't feel saved before he had a cup of coffee in the morning. We don't always, if we depend upon our feelings, we're going to bring doubt into our life and entertain it too much. We need to trust God's word. and never doubt it let us pray Father in heaven we are thankful for your word and it's power and it's truth and we pray that as we remember the saints of old who were so faithful to stand so faithful to fight so faithful to contend for your word that we might be challenged to live as they did Help us to trust your word and its truth, and Lord, to use us by your power and your word. In Christ's name, amen.